Good morning. We're delighted you could be with us. I hope you found us okay. I don't know whether what platform you may be on in trying to find us, whether it's on Facebook or other places, but it's easy to find. We have our website that you could find. Maybe that's where you are this morning at www.naplessdachurch.org. It's easy to find there if you will look and uh, see our services are there. And also, if you are on Facebook, you can look under Naples Seventh-day Adventist Church and just kind of like us there and put it up there as one of your pages. We'd be happy to have that and then share it and like it with others. They'll be happy there. It could be on, uh, on other platforms as well, but please feel free to share that with others if you would. That would spread it out for people who are alone and people who need to hear and be comforted by the words of Christ and to feel part of a fellowship, even though may me be all alone during this time of our pandemic. We were discussing and beginning with the last few weeks about the scandal of the cross. And I want to do a quick review of first parts one and two to catch you up a little bit so that you can uh, follow along what follows afterwards. So to the Jews and to the Gentiles, the idea that someone was going to be a crucifixion victim, it was reserved for slaves and for rebels. And there are quite a few stories that come out of history, including the movie Spartacus that talks about the crucifixion and how all of his followers, 14,000 of them were crucified. And it was reserved for uh, runaway slaves that would uh, keep them there. It was nothing noble about it. There was nothing noble that you would say. In fact, in polite society, you wouldn't discuss people's crucifixions. It was just the most horrible thing you could imagine. It was a way that Rome punished, punished people so severely that it would use it as a message and a reminder not to mess with Rome. Well, and when the cross came along, when the cross of Christ came along, everything changed for the believers. Not necessarily for the Jews or for the Gentiles, but for the believers themselves. It changed on how things were going to be. It changed on how they were going to look at the cross. And they began to worship to the Jews and to the Gentiles. How could you worship somebody who was on the cross? How could you worship somebody like that? That was reserved for the lowest of the low. And yet, the Christians, the new believers, they all rallied around the cross. And they began to worship the cross of Christ in which he died. We could ask, well, why? Why did that happen? Why was that change? What happened to transform and transform that in the thinking of the early believers? Well, as we discovered, because they saw it exactly as a fulfillment of the scriptures, what the scriptures had said, they saw it clearly. In 1 Corinthians 15, as we looked at, if you have your Bible, we're going to go back there again. If you have your Bible with you, please feel free to go get it and to look. You might want to keep it with you as we look at the passage together. But in 1 Corinthians 15, if you have it there, I'm going to read from the New International Version, which so many people carry today. So we begin with verse 3. For what I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. 
You see, the early believers, when the cross of Christ happened and when they saw what had taken place that day, they saw that as a direct fulfillment of the prophecies out of the Old Testament. They saw the great themes of the Bible, which all they had was Genesis through Malachi as their Bible. So they saw these great passages of Scripture, over 300 of them, that pointed to Christ upon the cross. They saw that as a fulfillment. They saw this as the long story of being exiled from God. And as last week, as we shared and looked at, Adam and Eve were exiled from the Garden of Eden. They had sinned, they wandered away from God, they went to the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And because they sinned against God, they hid from God, if you recall the story. And therefore the Lord sent them, and he had them sent and driven out of the Garden of Eden. What a sad, sad story that is. But we see the same sort of atmosphere happened when Israel, after it had been rescued by Moses, after it had been led across the Red Sea, gone to Mount Sinai, received the Ten Commandments, and now it moves on to the Promised Land. And they had to be driven out of the Promised Land because they got involved and veiled with Baal worship and many other things that they did. We read that about the story of Elijah a little bit last week. So all of us, in a sense, all of us are therefore exiled from God. Jews were never really got back to being with God again. And all of us who have fallen away, have pushed away from God's design in the beginning, are exiled from his presence. We cannot see God and live. So every believer, those early, early believers, very quickly saw what the meaning of the cross of Christ meant in their life. They saw what it meant to them that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. It is phenomenal that Paul put that in in such a way so that we would not miss it. Now we understand looking back as we look at these passages of scriptures, as we look at what happened, we can see that the cross of Christ was a pathway that led back from our exile. It was a way to get back from where we were. Okay, so that brings us up to the present. That was the last two weeks. If you need to go back and review those, you certainly can. They're online and available. But that brings us to this weekend, which is Easter weekend. The whole Christian world now. Tomorrow will be, good, uh, will be the Holy Rising of Jesus on Sunday. We had Friday yesterday, Good Friday, it is called. I don't know what's so good about Good Friday, but it was, it was called Good Friday. It was a horrible scene that happened there at the cross. Nothing beautiful about that. Nothing picturesque as we might see an artist's paint. It was horrible, horrible thing to witness and to see. So from this scandal came the glory. From the scandal of the cross, came the glory of God. From the scandal of the cross, Jesus himself was glorified, and so was the Father. And from the scandal of the cross, the glory of the meaning of the cross comes to us. Now I'm going just to look at a passage in the Old Testament. There's a passage in Isaiah 42, and that passage deals with Christ. It does deals with the passage in Jesus as a speaking. Now you won't recognize that because Jesus' name is not mentioned but it certainly is talking about it. And if we look closely, we can see some of these words and some of these things that apply to Christ. So 
Here we go. Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 4. Just let the words kind of sink into you here as you listen to this and apply it to Christ as he went to the cross. Here is my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one, in whom I am delight. Remember, the Lord said, this is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Father spoke from heaven at baptism. Going on, I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. He went as a lamb goes to her shears. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness, he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes his justice on the earth. Did you see a word was repeated several times in that passage? And that passage was the word justice. When it was talking about Jesus going to the cross, when it was talking about him being the suffering servant, as we have seen in also in Isaiah 53, that great passage about the suffering servant. Here we see an open door that talks about the justice that was being done. The justice that was incredibly important. Well, the Jews thought that when they took him to the cross, that going to the cross and crucify him would be the just thing to do. They said, yes, he was a blasphemer. He was someone who claimed to be God. He was someone who claimed to forgive sins. And therefore, he was someone even raised someone from the dead. He must be of the devil, they claimed. And so they thought that the crucifixion was the adequate, adequate punishment for him and to be justified. They felt justified in their actions of what they had done. Now back to the scriptures, because we have to pick that up. 1 Corinthians 15, if you have that yet. 1 Corinthians 15, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That Christ dies for our sins according to the scriptures. Romans 5, 8 goes on to say, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So those early believers saw something extremely important that happened on the cross. Something about the cross they saw, that they saw that their sins were forgiven. They saw that when Jesus died, he provided a way that their sins could be covered and forgiven and could be made right before God. It was that there was no longer any condemnation. No wonder they were so excited. No wonder they worshipped before God. How excited they were when they would gather together. No longer did they feel condemned and and no longer did they feel that they were lost, but they were found and barked to being his children again. In other words, no longer were they exiled, you see? No longer were they exiled. The passage goes on, if you'll just pick it up again and read on in verse 4. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. See? That he was buried and he was raised on the third day, according to what the scriptures offered. Do you see that? 
offered there through the scriptures is important. It was all spoken of. They saw the importance of that because they saw the power of the resurrection that happened on that wonderful Sunday morning. As you remember, the women went down. They met the angel there. The angel was seated there. And when they walked in, they asked, well, where is he? Where is he? He is not here. He is risen. A year ago, I was in April. I was in Jerusalem. I went to the garden tomb. You can look into the emptiness of the garden tomb and you can know he is not here. He is risen. The power, the power of the risen Savior. His death, according to the scriptures. His burial, according to the scriptures. On the third day, he raised from the dead, according to the scriptures. And just as he said, and he is not here. He's alive. And many people saw him, as you can read in the Gospels and in Acts. When I was growing up, I remember as a child that we would get together for singing festivals, things. We'd get together and sing and sing all kinds of songs. And one of the favorite ones I as a child would sing is the song, He Lives, He Lives. Well, it has quite a rousing chorus and a rousing beat and going and we would sing it at the top of our lungs and it was just a fun song to sing as we laid with that and I really never got caught up in the words when I was singing this song as a child but the words in the song are marvelous here they are just the first verse I serve a risen Savior he's in the world today I know that he is living Whatever men may say, I see his hand of mercy, I hear his voice of cheer, and just the time I need him, he's always near. He lives, he lives, Christ Jesus lives today, and closes with the thought, he lives within my heart. Jesus, when he was Jesus, when he was at Bethany and the raising of Lazarus, they were uh, talking with him, and there was quite a conversation you can read about. And in John 12, he states, and, and when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. When I, Jesus said, when I, when I'm lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. There's something about the cross that draws him. Draws you. I was reading about a story about southern China. And down at the harbor over the Mackinac area there, you could see the harbor. And up on this high peak that overlooked the harbor, these uh, Portuguese Christians decided that they would build a great cathedral there. So they built this enormous church as best they could, and they put it up and then on the front they constructed this huge wall and in the wall they put this very tall brass cross that stood up there and it could be seen for miles and miles that cross particularly when the sun struck on it and so they could see that big cross well it wasn't just but a short time later that a typhoon came along and the typhoon just destroyed that it sent debris all down the cliffs, all down the way, 
such a disappointment because it had been built such a short time and here all their labor went falling all the way down those cliffs except the front wall and that cross which stood way up into the air still stood firm well over a hundred years later over a hundred years later there was a shipwreck that happened out and as the shipwreck happened, most of the sailors and the people on board died. But a few were clinging to pieces of debris that they could float on. And they didn't know. And this one particular man, as he was looking at it, he was trying to find through the storm, trying to think, which way is land? I have no idea. And he'd come up on the swells and he'd look around trying to see as he's rising up and down. And when the swell came up, when the swell came up, all of a sudden he saw that cross way off in the distance and he knew there is land and so he began to swim and push his, push his debris that part of the ship began to push their way as he worked and worked and worked headed towards the cross he went the cross led him home led him to land and saved his life well it's an illustration of course and it's it's he swam and it became a landmark. But isn't it fascinating that it stood as kind of a, a metaphor, a thing to share with us, yes, the cross of Christ leads us home. It brings us exiled people back to him, brings us away. So I ask you today, will the cross still be a scandal to you? It all depends on how you look at it. You could look at it from afar and say, well, that's nice. I mean, I saw it on TV. I, I know why things are around. I see those kind of things. Or maybe you've grown up in a church and said, yes, I understand all about Christ went to the cross and he died and paid for our sins. But has it come home to you? Has the cross of Christ, the truth about it, the freedom that it brings from your sins to come back and to be God's child, has it led you has it brought you on your way home? This weekend, as the whole world is focusing on the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, as we think of what happened to Christ as he laid down his life, as he was buried, as he rose from the dead on Sunday morning, as that rolls around, let that speak. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Perhaps this is the moment that you need to make that journey to become a full child of God. To be able to follow Him and be with Him. Perhaps that is this moment. I remember the moments in my life when I felt the call of Christ. And it wasn't always at the same deal. It also wasn't one big event. Sometimes it was over several years and it'd be a, a recalling, as it were, for me to come back into a deeper relationship with Christ. It's always been a good reward. He always welcomes me back. He always accepts my, my asking for forgiveness. He always welcomes me as his child. And I ask you, have you made that journey to make it back to him? If you haven't, if you haven't made it, take this time to do so. This is a golden opportunity for you to take that. While you may be, may be in your home all along, 
wish you could go out, wish you could run around the busy life. Maybe things have settled down for you enough that you can stop and think and pause. Is the Lord speaking to you? Is he saying to you, come and see, come and see that I am good. Come and see what it means to, to be my child. Come back out of the exile. Come back and be. I provided on the cross that pathway for you to come. I invite you to do that. I invite you to surrender your life to him. It's very simple. Just to simply say, Lord, I'm coming back. Lord, I'm coming to you. Please forgive me for my sins. Use your prayer. I accept your sacrifice for mine. Please make me your child. Guide in my life. Help me when I fall. Recognize my own weaknesses, Lord, and help me to be your child and to come and follow you. Lord's invitation to come and see. That's what he gave to his disciples as they were gathered and they said, well, where are you staying? He said, well, come and see. Come and see. I invite you. I invite you to come and see. Dear Lord, I thank you. I thank you for this precious, precious opportunity at this time when the world is all shut in and we're all closed up and we can't go anywhere because of the pandemic, but you, you can still speak to us in a small, stubble voice. You still can reach out to us. Your heart, your love, the Spirit is still touching us, calling us to the Lord. I ask if you are listening today and you have not accepted Christ as your Savior, please do know so now. Just pray. Just pray along and say, Lord, Please let me be your child. Please forgive me of my sins. Let me follow you as, as you would. Please make that opportunity open to you. Take this moment to do such. Your life will be better. Lord, glorify all those who have done this, who have listened, who have recommitted. I thank you, Lord, for hearing their prayers. I thank you, Lord, for working in their lives. I thank you, for, Lord, for not giving up on them. They may be your children again. And we may all be together at the great gathering when you come and give and restore to us what you have so richly promised to us. Being with you forever in your presence is my prayer in the precious name of our Lord. Amen.